We've been talking about the book of Ruth, and it's been a great study. I hope you've enjoyed it. This is the fourth and final in this, in this series. Now, we start a brand new study next week, which I'll tell you about later. But I want you to um, take a step back with me for a minute, and I want you to think of one big word today. And repeat the word with me, please. Say, investing. This is a sermon about investing. This is a sermon about a man who makes an investment and where he wants to go. This is about a guy who wants to see something happen in his life. The series we've been in for this month is called Give Yourself a Chance. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. It is my argument that a lot of us don't give ourselves a chance. There are things you want, but there's no chance you'll have them in your life if you don't make certain decisions. And I, the first thing I talked to you about in Ruth chapter 1 was how important giving was. Giving yourself a chance in the midst of horrible times is crucial. I used a verse that was a little bit odd for you, Luke 6.38, where it talked about giving it shall be given unto you, pressed down. And I said, notice that it says giving it shall be given unto who? You. That the, the, the God's goal is to get something to you. And my argument is it's hard for that to happen. Because of the way we live, choices we make, what God would want to get to you, he can't. As a parent, you get that, right? You got kids, you try to get stuff to them, and it's like, okay, this is getting hard. Because of the choices you're making, the decisions you're making, it's hard to get you to where I want you to be. And even where you want to be, forget what I want for you, it's where you want to be. It's hard for me. You're not giving yourself a chance. In chapter 1, we saw Ruth... Naomi and Orpha, three women lose their husbands. Horrible moment. A moment where you could just give up on life. But they did something courageous. They made a decision to move forward. See, in life, you can go forward or backwards. You decide that. You can get stuck in a place and live in grief and sorrow all of your life, or you can move on. These women showed us how to move on. Now, Orpha went back to her old life. One of the daughters-in-law, she went back to her old life. Naomi went back home. Ruth decided to join her. Now, let's be clear. Naomi is the mother of the two boys that these girls were married to. So Naomi's husband dies, and her two sons die. It's a tragedy. And all you got to do is walk through death. Let me tell you, I deal with it all the time for last week. It is not an easy process. It's one of the things about my job that's not easy at all. It's always encouraging some family, dealing with those issues all the time. And what you learn is um, some people go backwards and some people go forward. Come on, see, some people people. go backwards and some people people. go forwards. You decide that. No one can decide that for you. So in chapter 1, we looked at them make that decision. Ruth made a bold decision to go with Naomi, her mother-in-law. She said, your God will be my God. Your, Your people will be my people. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I'll die. This is a profound commitment. In chapter 2, you see her make another decision, a decision to listen and work. Say it with me, please. Come on. Listen. You give yourself no chance if you don't learn to move forward. You give yourself no chance if you don't listen. There's no chance. Remember, the sermon series is give yourself a chance. My argument is there is no chance if you don't listen. Ruth is a model of a person who listened. Listen to an older person, Naomi. She allowed someone to speak to her. This idea that you have to know everything. Why? Why? Why do you go to a job and let them train you, but you won't let the people in your house help you? 
Why, why is it that you have this conviction that no one can talk to you? There's something about listening. Listening and working. She was a worker. In chapter 2, she decides, listen, my circumstances have changed. I can't live where I lived. My husband died. I looked at my circumstances, and I see, based on my bottom line, my balance sheet, I need a job. And so what does she do? She gets one without anyone prompting her. Why, does, why do people have to motivate us to do what we know? Just look at your checkbook. It says, go to work. It just, says, it just speaks to you. You know, this is not going to work. And so what she does is she takes the initiative and she goes. She goes to work and she makes it happen. And she's thankful for what she has. And she's, you know, committed to Naomi. And she goes to work. What a phenomenal statement. Girl's not lazy. I like it. Girl's not a lazy girl. Oh, boy, you can get that way if you're not careful. Your dream is for the hero to show up with all the money and take care of you. Really? Not Naomi, not Ruth. Ruth goes for it. Nothing wrong with having somebody to help you. I'm big on that, but I think that you can't guarantee that everybody's going to live. No one can guarantee you that. I mean, I want Diane to be blessed by me. I hope I'm a good husband. I try hard to be, but if I'm not here, she needs to still eat. And she can't have the attitude that if I'm not here, she's going to starve or get a grape next to me. That's just not the plan. And so I love the fact that in chapter 2, she's a worker. And then chapter 3, I love the fact that this is a chapter now where you deal with healthy relationships. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. In chapter 3, there's this, this move now because here's what happens in chapter 2. While working, she runs across Boaz. Boaz is, a, is a, her, her nearest kinsman. And by the way, you may not be familiar with this at all, but there is a Tradition, you might write this verse down, it was in your notes last week. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5, describes something called the covenant redeemer. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Covenant redeemer. So when your husband would die in Israel, what they had was a plan so that if you didn't have any kids, that your nearest of kin could marry you, and they would raise up kids in your, in your husband's name. So this becomes a family project. It's pretty interesting. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 through 10, it documents it all, so you can look at that and see, you know, how it all works. But it's really pretty simple and pretty powerful. And so this is a story in chapter 3 where you have Naomi guiding her to a healthy relationship, romantic relationship with Boaz. She tells her, say, you know, Boaz is the guy that could be the one who marries you and becomes your covenant redeemer. There's another name for it, too, called kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz and Ruth have this meeting that I described last time. And it was pretty powerful because in this uh, discussion, Naomi says, I want you to go and meet Boaz at the threshing floor. You would call it a big barn, right, where they would thresh the wheat. And so after they had this big harvest, normally they'd stay with, the, with, the, with it overnight to make sure nobody stole it. Well, he, was, he stayed, and it happened to be that he stayed, and she stayed too. They were alone. I talked about this whole thing last week. It's really powerful. And, you know, it's amazing. When they were alone, she tells him basically, hey, you know, um, Naomi said to me, you're the nearest kinsman, and if you really want to, uh, it'd be okay with me if you wanted to marry me. Now, you say, what do you mean? What is that? That's just culture. Didn't mean anything by it. And it wasn't, what I love about this when, you, when I talked about it last week, here you have two people having a mature conversation, and it's not just romantically based. 
It's not just he, he's, he's handsome. I like, I like his lips. It's, it's, it's not about that. It's about family. And I argued last week, I said, a lot of times when you guys, when you guys, if we're not careful, what we do when we think about finding somebody, we only want somebody that looks good to the eye, that makes us feel good about ourselves. But their, their decision was far more focused on redeeming the family. And it was really powerful, you'll see in a minute. It's really about making sure that her dead husband's name is not forgotten about. And I argue that sometimes that's not how we think. I'll come to that in a moment. But notice with me, that's the focus of last week, finding a way to build a healthy relationship, and she allows Naomi to guide her. Most of the time when we make decisions like this, there's nobody involved, just you, by yourself. And I want to ask you, how is it working for you? For every now and then you step up on it, it's okay, but generally speaking, we struggle in relationships because we never allowed anybody with any experience to talk to us. And we end up in unhealthy relationships because it's based on his muscles and her, her hair and her legs as if you're marrying a leg. Give me a break. You're marrying a person. Everybody say person. And so in this culture, it was all about marrying the right person and following a family tradition and the family being involved, and you'll see that in a minute. And so we talked about those three things for the last three weeks. This is the last one, and this one we talk about investment. Now, in chapter 4, where we are in Ruth, Boaz has made the decision. He talked to Ruth, and he said, hey, listen, thank you for the offer. He said, I'm really flattered. I'm really flattered you want me. I'm an older guy. You could have got a younger guy. You know, the younger guy's in the family, but you want me. And so he said, I tell you what, give me till tomorrow. And so she goes back home, tells Naomi, now I want you to watch this. This is all open. There's nothing hidden. There's no date a guy for six months, eight months, and bring him to the house. None of that stuff. And then you bring him one time to one dinner and one meal and say, what do you think? It's none of that. This is an open, transparent family conversation. Naomi's involved, Ruth's involved, Boaz's involved, and his family. You'll see everybody gets involved. Well, chapter 4, verse 1, watch what happened. These are going to be, watch this, four observations about the guy, Boaz. And I want you to notice the one big thing I want you to see about this guy. He's going to invest in what he wants. And that's my question for you today. How much of your time is invested in what you want in life? He has one focus, and he's going to invest in that direction. He wants to have Ruth in his life, and he wants to be this covenant redeemer. I often think we invest in things we don't want. We're busy focusing on other things. Watch how this guy narrows in his focus, chapter 4, verse 1, and he redeems not just her. His goal is to redeem the entire family. I want you to hear this. His goal is not just to get the cute girl who wants him. That's not his goal. His goal is not to find the fastest way to the bedroom. That's not his goal. He sees himself as the redeemer of the family. I'm coming into this family not just to snatch out the prettiest girl and run away with her and tell everybody else goodbye, but my goal is to be a blessing to this entire family. That's my reason for being in this family. Now watch what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate. Watch this now. Under he redeems the family. He went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Pause for a second. When, he, when, when Boaz was first told, hey, listen, um, you could be the guy who marries me, he said to her, well, yeah, but I'm really not 
the closest relative. There's another guy in front of me who has the right to marry you, and he would be the first redeemer. So really, we've got to talk to him first, but I'll take care of that tomorrow. So watch what happens now, verse, verse 1. Boaz went up to the gate. The gate is like the, the city hall where they do all the business. And he sat, he sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came and sat down. What did he do? He came and sat down, now, which is important. And then he took, verse 2, how many men? Ten men of the elders of the city. He said, hey, guys, come and sit down here. Let me talk to you. And what he does is amazing. He starts talking to all ten guys about his plan. So I want you to notice he's got ten plus one. That's 11 guys that he's consulting with. He's not doing it alone. This is not just a romantic, oh, she's fine, oh, boy, I like her, she's young and wants me. This is more than that. This is a discussion with mature people who can give him input. This is with elders. These are with people who've been married, seen marriages. They understand. Notice the kind of consultation he goes through. And I want to say to you, that's not what we do. It's, it's solo. You see him on, online. I had one guy, he saw, oh, he saw, I won't say his name, he's a celebrity. He, he saw his, his wife pass by in, in a car. And he turned the car around, chased her down. And later in the, in the marriage, the whole basis of it was she's fine. This is more than that. Now, nothing wrong. Listen, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to marry somebody and do like the guy did, right? The guy married her because she could sing, right? He woke up in the middle of the night and looked at her and said, baby, please sing. <laughs> you don't want a guy who marries somebody just because of a talent or a gift. You want him to marry somebody just be, not just because they, they, they have a certain uh, style about them. This is more than that. I am so touched by this because that is where some people land. You marry somebody just because or you want somebody just because of their looks. And when that runs out... Now, she's nothing to you because she, she's not singing. He's nothing to you because he doesn't have a job. Everything is hinged on some superficial expectation, but not here. You got 10 guys sitting down talking to him. You got the one guy who's the, who's the head of the family, the, um, the, the next in line in the family. So verse 2, he took the 10 men of the elders of the city set, and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the, to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the pieces of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now notice, this is the guy who died. And verse 4, and, though, and, though, and I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, hang with me now, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I am what? Next after you. And he said, I will redeem it if you don't. Now, please notice, Boaz states his goal. I want to redeem the family. I want to redeem. I want to go back and touch not just, not just, I don't just want Ruth. I want to help her previous husband. I'm going back in time. My goal is to help redeem Elimelech's family, Naomi's family. She lost her sons. I want to help everybody. Look at the second point I want you to see. So he offers to pay the price. Come on, say pay the price. 
So Boaz, redeemed, his goal is to redeem the family, and his goal is to pay the price. Now, this is where you find out who wants you and who doesn't. They're not willing to pay the price. There is a price for the cute. It's not free. And watch, Boaz wants to invest in that. He says, I know it's a price, but I'm willing to make the investment. Verse 5 of chapter 4, Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate. Notice the goal of this the whole, whole thing is I want to perpetuate or continue the name of the dead through his inheritance. This is not just about Ruth or Naomi. This is about the husbands who died. I care more about the whole and the history and the future of this family name. That's what this is about. I thought, boy, that's different. Normally what we do is when we get somebody, we want to snatch them out of the family, right? We don't care what their name was. We don't care what their history was. We don't care about any of that. We want preeminence. I want to be, I am now the guy in charge. Forget everybody before me. Amazing, isn't it? Not this guy. Not this guy. <laughs> Not this guy. Verse 6, he said, and, he said, and the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself. At least I ruined my own inheritance. You redeem. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself. For I cannot redeem it. Now, verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel. Listen closely. Concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirming anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, so he took off his shoe, right? Okay, so hey, we're going to make a deal here. I mean, that's better than a pen, right? You got no pen. You got to make it work. I love this part. So verse 7 says, and this was the custom in Israel, in a time in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging, to confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the confirmation of Israel. Therefore, the close relative was said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. Buy it for who? Yourself. Buy it for yourself. Buy it for yourself. Buy it for yourself. Took off his sandals and said to Boaz, to his elders, all the people, your witnesses this day, that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Shilion and Mahalion's, all that. Look, I'm going to buy the father who died. I'm going to buy his sons who died. I'm buying everything. I'm redeeming the whole memory of everybody from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, verse 10, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Mahalion, I have acquired as my wife. See, notice, Ruth was married to one of her sons, Mahalion. And so I'm redeeming her, her brother, father, everybody. I've acquired as my wife, I've got her as my wife to perpetuate, notice, not just for me. I love this part. I love this. Not just for me, but to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead, there it is again, may not be cut off. That the name of the dead, it's not about me getting the prettiest girl, snatching her out, but that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses to this today. That's called paying the price, and that's a guy who understood more than his season. 
When you pick somebody, what do they want? Just you? Is it all about you? I mean, I'm not what you understand. You're in a family, right? And so you don't even care about any, you don't care about your in-laws, you don't care about anybody else. You just you. This, he's my husband. So that's your declaration. Right? So her mother, who raised her, you don't care. Right? The Naomi, you don't care about the Naomi. Because now he's yours, right? She's yours now. You don't care about the husband, Elimelech. You don't care about the guy who paid the price, the guy who went to work, who struggled, the guy who did what he did. Now, okay, so somebody said, well, I don't have that story. Okay, I understand. I told the pastor something that was profound. I thought the other day we had a great conversation. We're talking about churches. I'm, I'm, I'm getting off the subject a little bit here. And, and this is to make the point that we oftentimes forget those who went before. So the pastor was telling me how frustrated he was with the deacons and how frustrated he was with the elders and all this. And I've had a number of pastors come to me with this, you know. And, uh, and they, you know, take over a Baptist church. Most of the time it's a Baptist church. And they take over the church and they, oh, they, the Baptist church will hire them. And um, they'll come in and they have vision and things start happening. Church starts to grow. And I've, I've had this happen a number of times. And a number of guys have asked me this question and they're always surprised by my answer. And I, I, they said, those deacons, they just, they, if they would just get out of the way. I said, well, have you ever had anybody, this is my, I love this question, have you had anybody, have you ever built something in your life and ever had anybody come and could take it all from you? And act like you didn't do anything. So, so I, I know where you live, right? So if I, if I just could move in your house, just, just take, you know what I'm saying, just, just come in, just take your car, your house, everything, just shh, all mine, all of a sudden, just put you out the pasture and say, you didn't pay for anything, you didn't buy anything, you know. You know, you know, those cars I see out there in your driveway, you know, those are all not my cars. And, you know, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't ring right, right? So a deacon who's worked, he's 80 years old, he's 75 years old. He's worked, he's slaved, he's struggled, he's been there every day, you know. And now we come together. And then you see you laugh and snigger, you know, but that's all he knew. That's all he knew. That's all he knew. I understand. I, you know, I laughed too and I heard, man, I said, oh, gee, what is that? You know, <laughs> but I have to realize I'm from a different generation. But that was the guy who for 30 years came to that church and opened it and paid for the bills. And when there was no offering, he was the guy who mortgaged and signed for the loan. His name's on the deed. He and four other deacon guys got together, and they signed for the deed. Don't get quiet on me now. I'm talking to you. And they, they sacrificed, and they gave everything they had, and now here I come, Ricky Temple, with my streaming, all my ideas, and all my ways, and all my new technologies, and my jacket, and my jeans, wearing a jean to church. Lord, have mercy. ain't even got a suit on. Where's this tie? What's wrong with that man? Well, okay, so I understand. I understand. I, understand. I got suits at home. Trust me. I got a lot of suits, but I just felt like this today. But at the end of the day... I shouldn't come in here and forget and scare you. So what I tell my pastor friends is you're scaring people. Back up just a little, back up your train a little bit. Bring them along. Talk to them. Talk about going to give online. What, what's that? What's that? Bring the Bible. Say, bring the Lord an offering. <laughs> come on, Brother Dick. I know, I know it does, Dick. <laughs> There's more, more than one way to bring it nowadays. Come on, Dick. Work with me. Work with me. You're scaring people. I'm not saying they don't have to change. I'm just saying I need to understand. It's not just about me. I love the fact that this guy 
when he steps into this family, his goal is to bring everybody along. His goal is to redeem. His goal is to think thinks more than just about Ruth. Boy, did you get that? It's more than just about Ruth. It's more than just about you stepping into your season. So he redeems the family. That's his goal. He want, he's willing to pay the price. And then thirdly, he has witnesses. I love this. All the people, verse 11, who were at the gate and the elders said, we are what? Witnesses. I love the fact that he did it in front of people. You need accountability. You need to make a promise that people can hold you to. This is not done in secret. And what, what's really amazing is all the stuff is missing. There's no Luther Vandross music, nothing. All the juicy stuff, you know, that we tend to rely on. This is a big moment. And it's got a financial, it's got a financial tag to it. He's got to pay for this. It's going to take time. It's, it, and, it's, and he doesn't get to be the star of the show. The first son, it doesn't even get to be his necessarily. It gets to be the man who carries on the name of the family. You'll see that in a moment. Watch this. Oh, boy. So he marries her. Number four, he marries her. Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife, and when he went to her. Now, I want you to say this. This is his firstborn, too, by the way. He has a relationship with Ruth. They get married. They have a child. And watch, watch what they say. The Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Verse 14. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. Pause. How did Naomi get in this picture? This is my son. Boaz, my first boy here, you know what I'm saying? No, no. He steps back, and he brings Naomi in, and they take the boy to Naomi. And he's going to allow her to take care of him, nurse him, support him, because, because Naomi holds up this grandbaby, and this is Redemption. This is the redemption from chapter 1 where she lost everything. This is the boy that's going to carry on the name. It's an amazing moment. I mean, I don't know if you ever had those moments where God just redeems you. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you as a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her bosom, and became a nurse to him. She started taking care of him. It's amazing. And I, I think in this moment, it's really exciting because for the first time, when I read this, I thought, boy, this is a grandparent moment. I call it GP juice, grandparent juice. is strong stuff. It makes you do stuff and... It gives you this feeling. You guys got my picture I want you to post for me? Do you have my picture for me? Do, do they have my picture? I don't, they, they don't have my picture. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. I, I forgot. I have a picture I want to show you from yesterday. Um, Brian, if you're in the suite, bring, come on out, Brian. I, I'm going to let Brian show you this picture. You know, I, I, was, I was surprised. Um, <laughs> um, grand, grandkids um, inspire you to do things that you wouldn't do. Give me an amen, somebody. And I, I just, you know, I just think there are just times when you, you sit back and you say, God designed the system 
And you see it fleshed out in Ruth. You see this moment where all of a sudden there is this breath of fresh air. She's standing there and she's holding this baby. And whatever happened before is over. This is me and my grandbaby. Yeah, yeah, right. Let me, let me tell you the story behind this picture. I am, um, and I hope they're showing this online too so people can see it that, that are watching either on demand or either wherever you're watching this. Make sure they see the picture. But this picture, um, there was this thing. I, I, I was raining, Misty. We were at Universal Studios for Thanksgiving. And um, the day afterward, rather. And so I, I put, um, the, it was, I had no hood on. And I was, my hair was getting, I was getting wet. And so it was kind of misty rain. And Milani wouldn't put anything on her head either. She was in a mood. And so um, we, they saw this, this in the store uh, thing, one. And I, I, I was gonna, I, it was the only thing they had in the store. And I thought, well, I'm not putting anything on me. said thing. <laughs> I'm just not a thing person. You know what I'm saying? I have a purpose in my life, not a thing. So Christina and I laughed about it first. And I tried it on. I said, no, this is thing, baby. I'm not, and Christina laughed. said, that is not you. I know that's not you. And then I saw Milani trying one on. And she liked it. All of a sudden, I thought, I'm a thing. <laughs> <laughs> And then she loves it. She says, oh, Papa, Papa, Papa thing two. <laughs> Milani thing one. I said, yeah, okay. So she wore it all day, covered her head up. She was happy because Mama, Pop Pops and her were thing one and thing two. That's enough of the picture. <laughs> God has a way of redeeming. Oh, you're showing more pictures. You're showing out, aren't you? That's enough of the pictures, folks. Take the pictures off. But one of the things that's really amazing is you sit there and you say to yourself, wow, what an amazing thing to see God have Naomi hold his grandbaby up and there's redemption. I want to show you something that's really cool. Watch this as it close out. This is so amazing. The Bible says that um, in verse 17 of chapter 4, also the neighbor, neighbor women gave him a name saying, this is a son born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Abinadab. Abinadab begat Nashon. Nashon begat Solomon. Solomon begat Boaz. And Boaz begat who? Obed. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat who? Isn't that amazing? Redemption. From chapter 1, where you lose everything, to chapter 4, where you get it all back and more. And now you get to be the great, 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 it's amazing, of David. Here you are. Look at you. You get to be the great, great grandmother of David. Yes, you do. God has a way of redeeming people. What impresses me about this guy was five things when I look at his life and summarize it. He's self-motivated. He's verbally clear about what he wants. He's a guy that's an entrepreneurial. He's out there. He's working hard. He's also a guy who's not so high-minded that he can't marry somebody that's just an average girl. And he knew what he wanted. He made no apologies for it, and he invested in that. In my life, that is my prayer, that I'd be this focused, that I would make sure that my life is aimed because when I do that, I give myself a chance. Next week we turn and we talk about the final series for the year. And guess what it's called? It's called Build Yourself a Chance. 
you can't just come to convictions and make decisions. You've got to build something. And that's what we started the year out talking about how you build a future. And what I want to do is I want to show you a principle. And it's not in your notes, so write this down. It's important. Write this down. Next week's sermon is called Build Yourself a Chance and put this in parentheses. Say peace by peace. Come on, say it again. Come on. Peace by peace. There are four simple pieces, four pieces that you can put in your life. You know, I always say success comes in pieces. I want to show you four keys, four things that can change everything. I gave you a little sample, what I call uh, summary, if you want to think ahead of me a little bit. Here's what I want you to think about. Are you investing in the things that you will build, that will build your future? Boaz invested in what he wanted. If I were to look at your daily habits or I look at your routines, would I say you are building the future you want? Here's what I want you to think about. Sow yourself, invest yourself, work yourself into a better place so that you can have a better result. This is not God's responsibility. Say that with me, please. Come on. This is not God's responsibility. I want you to hear this again. Sow yourself, invest yourself, work yourself into a better place so that you can have a better result. This is not God's responsibility. He will not exercise for you, eat for you, go back to school for you, work without you, or think for you. He's not. He gave Adam and Eve the responsibility to tend the garden, love his wife, say no to temptation, and be honest with God. Adam sowed himself out of the garden and into a harder life. You can do that. You can sow yourself out of a job. Some people are doing that right now by being late, not doing your job, not making, having an attitude, you know, snapping your neck back and forth, grunting and groaning. You are sowing yourself out of a good job. Well, it's a bad job. Well, you're sowing yourself out of no job. You won't have any job if you keep down this road. You can sow yourself out of a marriage. You can sow yourself out of a church. Sow yourself out. Adam sowed himself out of the Garden of Eden into a harder life. Are you making the same mistake that they made? I believe that you can build yourself a chance. You can do something, and you will have chances and opportunities that nobody else will have. God will give you favor in your life. God will bless you. I hope you read the daily devotional for the day, the last day of November, uh, uh, the last Sunday of November. It's amazing. You know what it said today? It said that the word that God has a way of blessing you, makarios is the word for blessed, and he said it's named after an island that had this great ability to be self-sustaining. And he says that when God blesses you, that's God's goal, to make you self-sustaining. You don't need anything. God gives it all to you. You got everything you need. Come on, say amen. I, come on, amen. I believe that's God's goal for you. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name that as we close out this year and get ready for those courageous conversations next year, as we begin to talk about, Lord God, the things that are important in our future, that your spirit would rest upon us and we would be fearlessly committed to trust you. I give you praise and I give you glory and honor and thanksgiving for how you alone provide for us. How you do the miraculous in ways that only you can do. And so God, I lift up this church to you and everyone here and everyone home watching. Lift those hands up high, would you? Bless them today on Thanksgiving weekend. Let them leave here thankful appreciative. We give you glory for them. 
And we praise you and we thank you for the hand of God upon your people today. And I declare in Jesus' name that the hand of God will bless and prosper your people in ways that only you can. May they, may they have, Lord God, freedom. Feel your presence, healing in their body, healing in their soul. And Lord, we declare today in Jesus' name that we leave this place inspired. We're going to give ourselves a chance. We're not going to let just everything happen to us. We're going to do things that's going to give us a chance. You want to bless us, and we're going to let you help us build that chance piece by piece. Four things that we can do, Lord God, we're going to learn next week that can help us get to where we want to be. And then, God, we're going to start the year out with some courageous conversations, things that we need to talk about, things we need to face, and make those courageous decisions that can help our lives be worth it needs to be in Jesus name with every head bowed every hand down please for a moment if you're here and you say pastor after hearing the message I realize I need to look at my walk with God my walk with God needs a little tune up maybe I've never really given my life to the Lord but I want to pray before the year is out I want to be right with God pastor and I want you to pray for me with every head bowed every eye closed if that's you no one's going to call you up front or anything just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for say pray that prayer for me pastor I see you anybody else saying pray for me pastor I see you Anybody else saying, pray for me? I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else saying, pray for me, Pastor? Right where I'm sitting, I see you. Thank you. God bless you. Every, every hand lifted, please, in the building, please. Father, we pray for all those who lifted their hands and those who lifted their hearts. We pray for those who are home today praying the same prayer. Or wherever they're watching, on demand, or wherever they're watching, let the Spirit of God touch them today. And may this be a time of healing and deliverance for them. May they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. As I start my new year, I want to start it out right with you. And so, God, I give you all the praise. You died on the cross to make this possible. And we thank you for your forgiveness and this fresh start. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Are you glad you came today? Come on, I hope you had a good time.